Father, um, what a good day it is. Um, this day is the day that, is that has the transforming power for all of us. If this day wasn't here, then none of us would have hope for a future. I do pray today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, Father, feet that want to run with obedience. May we walk out of here just encountering your word and uh, transformed. Give us the boldness to uh, follow you if we wake up tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. What's really important for us is to understand what today really represents. Now, the uniqueness is uh, within this culture we've been trained. We've been trained to um, make Easter about just getting together with family, or we've been trained to make Easter about uh, peeps and jelly beans and Easter egg hunts. When in reality, that's missing the point. And one of the questions that I often like to ask people is, what does the word resurrection mean? Christians. And a lot of Christians, or some Christians, it just depends on where you're at. Christians don't understand the resurrection. They don't understand the importance of the resurrection. Well, if Jesus didn't resurrect the grave, he wasn't who he said he was. And if he wasn't who he said he was, then we couldn't trust anything that he said. Therefore, you and I have no hope. So it's paramount that we understand this day extremely well. So there was this uh, preschool teacher, and what she ended up doing is she had three jars for one of her classes. And she took the jars, and she put some dirt in the jars, and when she put the dirt in the jars, she put a handful of worms in each jar. And she was trying to show kids about the life of worms. So what she ended up doing in the first jar before they left class that day, she filled it with smoke. She closed it. And then the next jar, she filled it with sugar, closed it. And then the final jar, she filled it with alcohol and closed it. She wanted to show the kids the environments that worms might be able to live into. So what ended up happening is the next morning, all the kids come in, and they recognize that all the worms are dead. So she asked the kids, she said, hey, what can we learn from this? And one kid said, if I drink, if I smoke, and I eat a lot of candy, I won't get worms. Come on, somebody. <laughs> See, the kid's conclusion was close, but that wasn't the conclusion the teacher was trying to get the students to understand, right? See, there's been many times that we've attended an Easter service. There's been many times that we've celebrated Easter with the family. There's been... There's many groups of people that are going to join after church today for some kind of Easter dinner. But have we drawn the right conclusion about the meaning of today? 
See, it's paramount that we draw the right conclusion about today. See, because today changes the rest of our lives. The hope for a future. Our sins being completely cleaned. Our church is beginning to go through the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is a really unique book. And essentially what Paul comes in and he says is this, is there were many, many preachers who were coming in in Jesus' name. And Paul had just preached a message to the Galatian church. And he said, hey, look, it's Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing else that you can do, nowhere else you can go, no good works earn your way to heaven. And Paul was mad because the Galatian church was accepting this new gospel that ended up saying, hey, you need to add works from the Old Testament so that you can be saved. You need to add New Testament ideology about faith without works is dead. Now, that's also scripture. But what they were doing is they were, they were accepting this fake gospel that said, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus sacrifice. So Paul, in the very introduction of Galatians, is mad because he says, look, it's Jesus plus nothing else. That's what today is about, Jesus plus nothing else. When Jesus died on the cross, when he was murdered on the cross, when his blood was shed, that alone is what can save us. Amen? Not your offering, not the money that you give, not your church attendance, though it's important that you do attend church because God gives us a body to work together to unite and keep accountable. Not about paying it forward, not about being on this council or the president of this club. It's all about Jesus. That's it. So today, I want to share a little bit of what I shared a couple years ago, I believe, while I was recording in my home about what Jesus went through for you and I, the price that Jesus paid for you and I. Jesus paid a high price for you because he loves you, and Jesus wants you, and he did everyone else. He desires that no one would perish. He desires that everyone in this room, everyone, every family member of someone in this room, every community that's not only represented in this area, but all around the world, he desires that we all would be saved. But a payment had to be paid. And I think it's important that we don't only just look at that payment today, but we consider the payment that Jesus paid every day. See, it wasn't just because Adam sinned. It wasn't just because um, our sin. It wasn't just the movie of the passion of Christ. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and we all need a savior. So today that should bring those who are born again, who are believers, excitement. And if you're not a born again believer, or if you're not born again, then listen closely today 
Because today is actually a day that's about life and death. See, here in a little bit, we're going to raise people to new life in Christ. Nothing magical about this water, but we're going to raise people to new life in Christ. But if you don't know Jesus personally, today is a paramount day for you. I heard a guy once say that um, if we had to sacrifice animals like they did in the Old Testament, then in theory, he, he thought that he would reconsider sinning more often. Like, he felt like if he had to sacrifice his pet, if he sinned, he probably wouldn't sin as much. Anyone feel that same way? Anyone want to sacrifice their pet today? Now, sometimes you want to send them to the adoption agency, <laughs> right? But you don't want to sacrifice them. See, in the Old Testament, blood had to be spilled, but blood was spilled of the first fruit, the highest quality animal that you had. See, I understand his point, but I still think that if we consider what Jesus did for you and I, then it would help us live a little bit different life. So what I wanted to do is recount the cross today once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, John chapter 19 16 through 18. It'll be on the screen for you. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to a place of the skull, which is in Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Jesus was crucified for you and I. So I want to go through what Jesus went through in his last hours. I know sometimes we wonder what our last hours may look like. How will it be? Most of us are like, I hope that it's while I'm sleeping, dreaming, and I w go to sleep in a dream and I wake up in Jesus' presence. How many of you guys want that in here? Come on, somebody. That's what I want. Others are like, I want to be raptured. How many of you guys want to be raptured? Right? We want to be raptured. And then there's some people in here who are like, what's the rapture? All I'm going to say is don't be left behind. Go watch the movie. Totally based upon every piece of the Bible. I'm just playing. This is what Jesus went through for you and I. A guy who was 100% God but fully man. Jesus, fully man. He was tempted in every way that we were ever tempted. He felt things the way that you and I feel stuff. When you step on a nail, when you stub your toe... When you hurt your finger, when a hangnail pulls too high, Jesus felt pain. See, but it was the joy that was set before him that he was willing to endure the pain. See, there's a lot of people in here who endure the pain of their job for the sake of their families. 
Jesus wasn't just willing to work at Honda or work at the school or work as a construction worker or take pictures. Jesus was willing to endure the cross and lay down his life for the sake of you and your family. It was the joy of you being with him for eternity that allowed him to push through being beaten and bruised and crushed. So here's what happened. Matthew 27, verse 26. We're going to have multiple scriptures we're going to go through. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. So Jesus was flogged. Anyone in here ever been flogged? Doesn't sound fun to me. Essentially being flogged is where they had this device, right? It had a leather grip, so you get a real good grip on it, right? It would give them power. And it had long straps on it, long leather straps to increase velocity. And then they had sharp ob objects on the end, sharpened bones, teeth, rocks, sometimes skulls. And what would happen is to flog someone, they would take this leather whip with leather cords and sharpened rocks, and they'd hit someone. People were like, why did I come to church today? I don't want to hear this message. Give me hope. We have to remember the sacrifice that Jesus went through. And they took, they took their flogging device, and they'd whip Jesus 40 lashes minus one. And I don't know how he did this, but every time that he endured that, he had you and I in mind. What man, what sane person would go through that unless there was a price, some kind of reward at the end? So they flogged him 39 times. Now, it's Easter, right? But we must remember the cross. Now, flogging was used in many different ways, all of them being a form of punishment. So Jesus is now being flogged for some sort of punishment when he's never done anything wrong. One of the things that they wanted to do is look for a confession. They wanted Jesus to admit that he was a liar, that he was a fake, that he was some kind of false prophet, but Jesus never admitted to any of that because he was the Son of God. And in Jesus' case, he was accused of being blasphemous. He was never blasphemous. So no confession ever came. This was also used to pre-kill people. What they learned is if typically you would hit someone 40 times, that that would be the body's breaking point. So this was pre-killing Jesus before he went to the cross. So they beat him 39 times. And sometimes it was just straight-up punishment. Just, we're going to punish you this way. Yet after all of this, guess what Jesus did? After being flogged 39 times. I don't know if I'd get up after some of you guys punched me three times, let alone being hit and flogged 39 times. 
After this, Jesus then picked up his cross and carried it. So not only was Jesus flogged, Jesus was beat. Luke 22, 63 through 64. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? See, they blindfolded him. Now, I know there's a lot of questions about um, did Chris Rock and um, Will Smith stage what was going on? I think they did. Other people do not think that they did. Nevertheless, Chris Rock better have known that Will Smith was about to do something. Jesus was blindfolded. Being sucker punched is the worst kind of hit that there is. You can't brace for it. Your body can't prepare for it. Jesus was sucker punched. Jesus was spit on. Matthew 27, 30. They spit on him. And they took the staff and stuck him, um, struck, sorry, struck him on the head again and again. They flogged him. They beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. Matthew 27, 27 through 29. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They then knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. There's many things, many problems with bullying going on within this world, right? But Jesus, in this moment, was bullied. He was mocked. He never gave up. He never ran from it. Because why? Because the joy was set before him. And you are the joy. Jesus loves you that much that he was willing to endure this all. And you're like, why would Jesus love me? Sometimes it feels scandalous. You're not good. I'm not good. And you're like, why? Elders are thinking, why did you preach this sermon on Easter? Why are you telling people that they're not good? Because until we realize that there's only one good, we're going to keep on lying to ourselves. We're going to keep on thinking that we can live a good life, that we can be on this council or that council or counsel or do all these right things to earn our way to heaven, when in, when in reality, there's no way to earn our way to heaven other than the blood of Jesus. When we face Jesus one day, our only defense is not what we have done, but our only defense is Jesus. Amen? Amen. So shouldn't we look at the sacrifice that he made for you and I? So he was mocked. They put nails through him, John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nails, the nail marks in his hands and put a finger well where the nails were and put my hand in 
to his side, I will not believe. I stepped on a nail once. Part of the problem was I was wearing the first generation croc, right? It was first generation, so they just didn't work out that plastic thing well enough. That hurt really bad. I walked with a limp for a while. Now they got steel toe crocs and everything else. I mean, <laughs> croc for this, croc for that, high heel crocs, um, nursing crocs. Kind of feel like Bubba Gump with the crocs. <laughs> Jesus had nails put through him. They undressed him completely naked. Matthew 27, 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. They divided up his clothes. You guys wore clothes to church today, right? Because you're decent people. That's kind of what our culture says. How humiliating would it be? Some of us won't take off shirts at a pool, won't show our arms, don't like our legs being seen. And Jesus was completely naked in front of people, being beaten and bruised and crushed. Why? Because of his love for you. His love for you. All that Jesus had to do is say that he was making all of this up and they would have set him free. Because of you. His beard was plucked out of his face. Sometime I have like a rogue eyebrow hair that's just way up here. I don't even see it, but Macy's like, hey, you got like this thing sticking out. Girls look at like the finer details, the eyebrows, the eyelashes. I don't ever see it unless it's in my eye. So you have one of those rogue guys, specifically maybe even out here. Those in here, if you pull those things, it's not bad. But you get one of those rogue ones out here, it really hurts. Can I get a witness, ladies? <laughs> Jesus' beard. I know that my beard's in there a whole lot better than my eyelashes and the top of my head. You could pull these things out and wouldn't even feel it. They're already three-quarters of the way out. But a beard, Jesus' beard, was plucked out of his face. What a Savior. What a King that would be willing to endure that for you and I. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And through all this, the plan of redemption was fulfilled to forgive our sins. Now it was time, wait for the resurrection. So anyone in here, I guess, can be beat up, Anyone in here can have a beard pulled out, be punched in the face, be spit on. Uh, everyone in here has probably been mocked. 
But there's something different about Jesus, right? Anyone in here can die for any cause that they want to die for. But it's not about dying for your cause. It's about being the one true God that was willing to lay down his life and resurrect the grave for our sins. So today, we quickly want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. So what's going on here is Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. There's many important things that we need to look at. Paul is addressing in, uh, with many different groups of people, but right now, those who Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15 is the Sadducees, or those who believed like the Sadducees. See, they were people that believed that Christ, Christ's resurrection um, wasn't necessarily what people thought it was. See, they believed that Christ resurrect, resurrected himself, but they didn't believe that the church is resurrected, right? The Sadducees rejected the belief of the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees denied the afterlife. See, the Sadducees rejected the idea of an unseen spiritual world. And Paul is trying to tell the people, without the resurrection, your faith is useless. Hear that today. That's the point of the three jars. Your faith is useless without the resurrection. See, there were also beliefs out there that Jesus appeared as an angel, but didn't have a physical body. That is not a resurrection, right? A resurrection means that you were dead, and then now your physical body is alive again. The resurrection of Jesus was a physical resurrection of his body coming back to life. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15. If not, it's on the screen. All right. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So one of the points that we have to take away from today is this, is if Jesus didn't resurrect the grave, there is no basis for our faith. In verse 12 and 13, Paul is telling us that there is no basis for our faith if Jesus is still in the tomb. Jesus would be more, or, or Jesus would be nothing more than a madman. He'd be a cult leader who had thousands of people follow him, thousands of people believe in him, but yet he died and he stayed in the place that all of us would be destined for as well. But that didn't happen. If Jesus was still in the tomb, everything that they were following and believing in would have been fake. The resurrection is essential to salvation with Christ. There was a time that I shared the gospel um, at a coffee shop with this man. And um, while I'm talking to this guy, good conversation, he's having some unique struggles. And while I'm speaking to him, I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? He said, yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? I do. 
Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? I do. Have you repented of your sins? He said, I'm wrestling with that. He said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose three days later? He said, I don't believe that Jesus rose three days later. Okay, well, let's work through that first. Because if Jesus didn't raise three days later, he's not who he said he was. And he might as well be any other prophet or lower M Messiah or lowercase L Lord. If Jesus didn't resurrect the grave, he's not who he said he was. The gospel is powerless without the resurrection. See, Romans 10, 9 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The raising from the dead is paramount. See, in the next couple verses, Paul tells us three realities that, that are true if Jesus didn't raise from the grave. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. Anything that's useless, we need to make note of, right? If Jesus didn't raise from the grave, your faith is useless. So what does that mean? You guys are paying me for nothing, right? We can laugh a little bit. Come on now. We're meeting here for nothing. We're connecting throughout the week for nothing. We're serving the community for nothing. Paul reminds us that if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then preachers would be wasting their time. Billy Graham would have been wasting his time. Paul would have been wasting his time. Francis Chan would be wasting his time. Charles Spurgeon would have wasted his time. Martin Luther would have wasted his time. Mark Snyder would be wasting his time. Stu Jenkins would be wasting his time. Our faith would be useless. If Jesus was dead, we would be wasting our time and resources. Our gatherings would have no point. If Jesus was dead, our praying, our worshiping, our witnessing would all be useless. The good thing is, is I know that it's all real. In spite of what the world wants to tell us, we can stand with a victorious understanding that Jesus defeated the grave. See, I want to move on from this verse, but I also want to say is sometimes as Christians, we live as if Jesus didn't raise from the grave. Let that sink in a little bit. Sometimes as believers, we live as if Jesus didn't raise from the grave. Verse 15, Paul's words, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact, sorry, but if, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Paul's teaching the Corinthians that we too will be raised 
from the dead. We too will come alive once again after we die. But he's also saying this, if Jesus didn't raise from the grave, we would all be false witnesses. If Jesus didn't raise from the grave, I mean everything that you would have shared with your friends, your family members, your coworkers, anyone would be a lie if Jesus didn't come back. I hope you are beginning to see some of the importance. Paul once killed Christians, approved of Christians being beaten, separated from their parents, and killed. Paul, the very guy who is presenting this message to the Corinthian church, beat, killed, abused, separated kids from their family, and had parents killed. He was blood hungry for Christians. But what ended up happening is his old life was changed when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He encountered Jesus Christ, and he said, I understand differently now. I repent of my sin. I, I turn from my ways. Paul, if Jesus didn't resurrect the grave, would still be doing those things. Paul was educated. He had good money. At some point, he was a hard worker but he repented of his sins and became obedient to share the good news of Jesus. Now, here's some of the things that Paul went through. Paul was a man of high status. He went around and re he received favor before he was a Christian. He was a leader of those against Christ. So here, here's what happened to him. Paul was beaten. Paul was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He was bitten by a snake. I've seen some of you guys run from spiders, let alone spy, uh, snakes. Paul was willing to endure those things because of the love of Christ. Because of what Jesus had done for him. His old life was behind him. His new life was here. Because of the resurrection. See, if Jesus didn't conquer the grave, why would Paul have given up his good life? Why would any of us try to live different? If Jesus didn't defeat the grave, then why are we doing anything that we do? Our sacrifice to witness would be useless if Jesus didn't raise from the grave. We're wrapping up. I know some of you guys are thinking about that ham already. Verse 17, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Our sins would not be forgiven. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, we would have no justification in Christ. Now, to help you remember what justification means, it means is just as if you've never sinned. 
Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So because Jesus died and he was raised to life, when we follow him, when we repent of our sins, when we become his children, guess what? When he sees us, it's just as if we've never sinned. Amen? Now, there's a lot of things that are being said right now that are in a vacuum. But what I'd like for you to do is come back to our church. Go, go back to your church that preaches Jesus Christ as the only way, right? That a sin is a sin. That the Bible doesn't change. That he resurrected the grave. Go back to that church, and I think this vacuum that you're hearing today will also be explained over time. Join a Bible study. Read, read the word each day. Amen? So, if Jesus did not come back to life, we are still in sin and need a Savior. So let's get back to what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. Paul tells us that we would have no future if Jesus did not come back to life. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. All of our friends, family members, co-workers who have died, we would never see again. Their memories would just be in our hearts and our minds. There would be no hope to ever be reunited with them. There would be no hope to meet Jesus face to face. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Paul is telling us we would have completely wasted our life living for Christ if he never resurrected the grave. We would have been believing a lie, plain and simple. But God, right? But God. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead. Amen? I wish there was a little bit of talk back church today. See, we've been a part of a few churches that are talk back a little bit. But let's engage a little bit today. Just help, help me preach today, right? But God, but Christ has indeed been raised from the grave. Amen. Amen. Mark Snyder's back there smiling big. I think he's embarrassed for me. Thank you, Mark. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So because Christ was a man and he resurrected the grave, so too you and I as man and woman can be resurrected from the grave. Amen? For We're warming up. For as in for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So here's the good news that we see in Scripture. Here's why we are celebrating today. Jesus is not dead. We need, to, we, we need to know that Jesus is not dead. We can awkwardly clap, okay? 
the only way you begin to clap good is when you awkwardly get through it. Jesus is not dead. The tomb is empty. Awkward clap again. Praise God. Come on. The tomb is empty. The tomb is rolled back and Jesus is not there. So if you're taking notes today on your phone or on a piece of paper, mental notes never work, especially with this generation. Here's what we need to understand. Because the tomb is empty and because Jesus is not dead, our foundation is real. What we believe is true. The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures are real. Jesus is who he said he was. How comforting is that? Our foundation is real. That all the stuff, I wanted to use a different word there, probably not as bad as you thought it was, but questionable on Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving Easter. <laughs> You're like, who's thinking about food? Our foundation is real. Our faith is dependable. In spite of all the stuff that's going on in this world, our faith is dependable. We see the signs of the time coming to pass. We see Old Testament scriptures that have been prophesied of what the end of time will look like. And you're like, why are you preaching this message on Easter? Because it's all about him. And everything that we see taking place in this life is proving that he is alive and well. So all, all the heartache that we've been through, all the frustration that we've been through, all the sin that we try to run from, the world seamlessly and seemingly becoming lawless and the spirit of the Antichrist trying to in, um, get into the church and tell us that a sin is no longer a sin. I don't get to pick what sin is. And actually, quite frankly, you don't get to pick what a sin is either. God has picked what a sin is. Amen? Amen. Trying to follow the spirit here, I just want to share this. When God wrote, when, when, when God knows so much more than you and I in spite of what we think. And sometimes we've all been in a position where we feel like we're the smartest person in the room. Can I get a witness? We've all felt like we're the smartest person in the room. And here's how. If you've ever complained about someone, that means that you thought you were the smartest person in the room. And y'all going to be complaining about church later. Because baptisms don't start until 1230. Again. <laughs> hour and 13 minutes left in the sermon. When Jesus, when God, in the beginning, when, when, when he gave his rules, over 600 commandments, right? Many of you guys have heard this. Macy and I have three dogs. We put a fence up for our dogs, right? We put this fence up for our dogs so that they can go out in this fence and live life to the fullest. What we recognize is if our dogs live outside of the fence, life will become more complicated for them. 
and our hearts will be broken for them even more. Growing up on Sandusky Street, 121, Landon now, now lives there. So growing up on 121 Sandusky Street, people's dogs would get hit all the time. People's cats. And it would be so heartbreaking to see a dog and a cat being in that position. So what Macy and I decided is we're going to protect them. We're going to tell them that they, they can live life to the fullest if they just live within these boundaries. So when Jesus gave us these rules, when God gave us these rules, he wasn't giving us these rules to say, I am a control freak, and if you don't follow them, then I hate you. That's not what it was. What he was actually saying is, look, if you live within these rules, you're going to live life to the fullest. You're going to experience freedom and life and hope and joy and happiness. But what happens is we think that we need to live outside of the fence. So we try to live outside of the fence, and then we wake up hungry. We try to live outside of the fence, and we're thirsty. And we see a younger generation trying to break so many rules that they're living outside of the fence. And then they wonder why they're lonely, why they're depressed, why, they're, why they are hurting. So when we talk about God's rules and God's um, character, it wasn't because he was a control freak. So our faith can be dependable in spite of how hard this life can become. We are not wasting our time because Jesus resurrected the grave. We can walk in the power of Jesus because Jesus resurrected the grave. We can preach with boldness because Jesus resurrected the grave. We can live within the boundaries of life that he's called us to live in because Jesus resurrected the grave. We can understand that our faith is dependable because Jesus resurrected the grave. We can live with the understanding that our sin is pardoned. We do not have to worry about whether our sin will send us to hell or not. Now look, if you don't have the blood of Jesus, you better start worrying we need the blood of Jesus. But Jesus has the power to wash away all of our sin. You don't have to go sacrifice an animal. Jesus was that sacrifice. And our future can be certain because Jesus resurrected the grave. Francis Chan had a great illustration um, that, I don't know, 15, maybe even 20 years ago, he took a rope, and he took this rope, and he pulled it all the way across the stage, from that end to that end, and, you know, essentially this rope could just go from here to Columbus, and he took one inch, a one inch piece of duct tape, and he put it on the end of the rope, and he said, this is your life in comparison to all of eternity, and all the decisions that we are making are based upon this one inch when we have the rest of eternity a rope that just goes on for infinity. Our future, our future is certain when we put our faith in Jesus Christ because he resurrected the grave. But it's not about just those 30 or 60 or 20 or 80 or 100 years that we get to live. Our future is certain that we get to spend the rest of eternity with our maker in paradise 
you are an eternal being. And there's two places that you can go, heaven or hell for eternity. The good news is, is if we put our faith in Jesus, if we follow him, if we listen to him, if we love him, if we obey him, if we accept that the blood of Jesus is the only way that we can go to heaven, we get eternity in heaven. If we don't, we get eternity in hell separate of his presence where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the gospel message is paramount. And um, if someone could go get the kids, looks like Stu's going to do that. Thank you. And baptism people, if you need to change your clothes. The gospel message is this. Jesus Christ of virgin birth left heaven. Jesus left heaven on his throne and he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. And then he resurrected the grave so that you and I can fully live forever with him. Amen? The Bible goes on to say that we are fully justified because he resurrected the grave. So today, we must remember that Jesus is the only way. He is. It is Jesus plus nothing else because what he did on the cross. I would encourage you, please go read the book of Galatians. Go read the first chapter of Galatians. Go read the first 11 verses of Galatians and then tell me that it's Jesus plus anything else. The only way we make it to heaven is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus plus nothing. So, you can walk in a relationship with him because of what he did on the cross. And you can have faith that it's real because he resurrected the grave.